People are single, uh, Stephen. People want to know. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> if I meet somebody at Starbucks or coffee shop, how do I come across as more attractive? One of the universal signs of friendliness to someone else who you just come into eye contact with and haven't verbalized anything with is the eyebrow flash. So you quickly uh, raise your eyebrows and then you quickly lower them. And that's an indication of a friendly type of universal gesture to everyone. So that's a good way to start out a conversation with someone is that quick eyebrow flash. Hey guys, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show and thanks so much for choosing this episode about mastering your nonverbal communication. Today, you'll learn how to use your body to be more attractive, more powerful, gain more compliance, how to detect cheating even, be more powerful and connect with people from different cultures. Hi, I'm your host, Timothy Maurice, and my goal is to help you understand how to apply behavioral psychology to succeed in your personal and professional life. To have this conversation, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Dr. Stephen Furling, who is an associate professor at Texas A&M University. His research focuses on persuasion, gender, and nonverbal communication. Today, we zoom into his book, Nonverbal Epiphany, Steps to Improve Your Nonverbal Communication. Dr. Furlick, welcome. How are you? Thanks, Timothy. Good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming and hanging out again. You know, this is the deepest book I've ever read on nonverbal communication. I mean, I was like, whoa. I mean, you open up the book really going deep, sharing heavy research. Uh, Is it really that deep? Yes. One of the things that I wanted to do was I've taught a uh, nonverbal communication class for over 10 years, and I had difficulty finding one, a book that met my needs. Um, There's plenty of nonverbal communication books out there that are more popular culture, but it's not research-based. So how credible and how believable and how reliable can you trust them? And then the academic textbooks aren't very applied, the ones that I came across. It's very uh, theoretical and not necessarily what you could use in your own personal life. So that's one tried to address in my book was to combine the two, have things that you could actually apply and use specifically in your life that's research-based that's been uh, shown as being uh, reliable. And then the other thing that uh, I haven't found any nonverbal communication books doing is incorporating biology and the biological yes, uh, yes, underpinnings yes, or yes. influences of uh, nonverbal it. behaviors. And yeah, that, last, was, that was, yeah, go ahead. Uh, just lastly, um, I tried to do uh, a lot of images so people could visually understand it much better. So I have over 150 images to help people yeah. uh visually see how you can apply it. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see if we can bring some of those images alive in this conversation. I mean, I have to tell you, as much as I've studied persuasion and nonverbal body language and communication, I was blown away. I mean, I mean, and for those who are listening, if you think you know, <laughs> well, we're about to go much deeper. The consequences are quite serious. So before we dive in, you know, a lot has changed since we were, you were on the pie the last time. So I have to go back inside your mind in our signature feature called Inside the Mind. Are you ready? Can we yes. do it? Awesome. So these questions all relate to nonverbal communication, by the way. This is the first time I think I've tailored 
the questions to a book. So let's do it. Eye contact or a hug? You can only choose one. I would, I would say what would be more powerful would be the hug because touch activates oxytocin and increases. And what that is, is that bonded chemical. So it makes uh, people feel more connected to each other. Lovely. High five or fist bump? Prior to Corona, high five. After Corona, uh, I would say a fist bump now. It has <laughs> been found that that reduces 70% of germ virus transmission. But oh, you still, wow. get that, still get that touch and the oxytocin. Cool. A wink or a kiss? So I talk in my book, um, two different are, uh, it's a romantic one or not, on a hit tilt. So I would say if it's a close relationship, probably a kiss that's actually a romantic, genuine one. But if it's just going to be something informal, then I would go with the wink because you could get just as intimate with it in terms of um, someone who you're less familiar with. Okay. Handshake or pat on the back? Handshake, uh, depending on what your goals are. But most of the time, most of the people, I would say a handshake because a pat on the back can be taken as more of a power move and insult someone who's uh, familiar with what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Thumbs up. Or clapping? I would say definitely a thumbs up. Um, it gets a point across and it's pretty universal and um, it's a bit more professional, I would say. <laughs> so this one is very tricky. Number six, yawning or rolling your eyes? Depending upon what your goals are, um, rolling your eyes often comes across as a power play. When you uh, maintain eye contact with someone and break it up, that means that you're trying to show that you're superior to what the other person is and uh, disagreement as well. Um, whereas with a yawn, you have different interpretations of it, uninterested, or maybe someone's just tired or whatever else. In my book, that's a good question. Uh, I, I actually have, um, I address yawns. And if you yawn, and the people around you yawn, that's yawn, yawn contagion. That means mm. they empathize with you. That means that they understand and have a similar type of emotional experience as what you're going through as well. So you could get good. And if they don't, uh, maybe it's not going so well with the people around you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Num number seven, smile with your mouth closed or smile with your mouth open. The best genuine one would be smile with your top teeth showing only. And then I go into details what a genuine smile from a fake one is. Oh, wow. Wow. You want some details of that now? Or later? Yes. Yes. Let, let's, let's go into that now. Okay. So a genuine smile versus a fake one. A genuine smile would be showing the upper teeth and not necessarily uh, the lower teeth. But one of the biggest indicators is having the uh, crow's feet. So you have the wrinkling on the outside of the eyes. And then the um, uh, the forehead also has uh, more wrinkles as well for a genuine smile with the fake one. Um, it's quicker, the fake one is. 
and you don't have uh, the crow's feet. And oftentimes uh, you may show the lower teeth as well. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Inside Your Mind. Well, my first formal question is when your students take your nonverbal body language course, what are three of the key sort of messages you hope they take away that they can apply to the real world? So I have a few principles that I think people should um, uh, understand when it comes to nonverbal communication. These are general ones that apply across most situations, most people. And to misunderstand that, you're going to misunderstand pretty much all the nuances as well. One is that there is a mind and body connection. And okay. with that, with that um, people are often familiar with that your nonverbal communications indicate what your emotions are. But what people okay. don't understand is, is that um, what your nonverbal behaviors are can actually create your emotions. So oh, wow. say, uh, say, for example, that you're not in a pleasant mood or in a negative mood and you start to smile, then your mood will actually change to a more positive one. There was a study done. They had two different conditions. And in one condition, people just had their uh, regular facial expression. And in the second condition, they had uh, people put a pin in their mouth. And then the second condition, they found out that their uh, emotion was much more positive than in the first one. So what changed was their facial expression. They forced people to actually uh, create a smile themselves and uh, that create a more positive mood. The second one is uh, Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y. She did extensive uh, research over the years about how your nonverbal behaviors can create the emotion. And she's probably best known for uh, the power pose. And with the power pose, uh, they did a study and during the uh, they had a, a mock interview and the people who were conducting the interview did not see uh, the interviewees prior to the interview. And they had half of them do the power pose where you have a wider stance uh, before you walk into the room. You had your hands on your hips and your elbows out. So that takes up a lot more space. And what they found was the biological connection. It increased their testosterone levels which made them more confident and lowered their cortisol levels, which is that stress hormone. So after the interview, uh, the people who conducted rated uh, the different uh, people who uh, were the interviewees and rated the people who did the power post prior to the interview much higher, much more credible without uh, noticing or seeing that they did that prior to the interview. So uh, that nonverbal stance behaviors actually created uh, their emotions. And then one of the biggest ones that people often fall trap into is relying upon one nonverbal behavior, that you need to look at what the context is, the time, the place, the subject that's being talked about. Are there other people uh, who may be um, in their proximity that may be influencing it? And uh, maybe it's just something that's an adaptive behavior. Everybody wants to think, oh, you rub your nose, then uh, that means you're lying. Or if you're not making eye contact, that means you're lying. You, I always uh, teach them that uh, you're putting a, a puzzle together. So you're putting the individual pieces of the puzzle together and don't just rely upon one nonverbal behavior. So basically, we shouldn't overreact. Yes. If somebody, if you see somebody rub their nose, go, oh, my God, they lying to me. Like, 
you got to look at the full full context. Okay, gotcha. And understand how uh, that person normally communicates. So um, just because someone's not making much eye contact to you doesn't mean that they're being deceptive. Maybe that's how they normally communicate. So you should nor- uh, have, uh, just like we did, just have a few basic questions at the beginning and see how they normally communicate and then get into the things that are much more deeper or more serious and see if their communication changes from it in terms of length of eye contact, facial expressions, the gestures that they use. Because a big misconception out there is that they think uh, people, it's like 75% of the people in the uh, population think that if people don't make eye contact, that's an indicator of deception. And research has actually shown the inverse, that those people who, that people who are trying to deceive actually maintain eye contact for longer periods of time than what they normally do, because they know that's what people are looking for. And um, they're trying to overplay their hand. Ah, I see. Interesting. So when your students leave, you know, if they go into a work environment, they'll be far more equipped to be able to build stronger relationships, be able to engage uh, and understand when things are, you know, complex in a way where, you know, you basically are not oblivious. What are, what are some of the things that we should never underestimate about nonverbal communication? In your business context is uh, one of the things that you uh, just uh, touched on. Um, what's one of the things that's more important than deception? Trying to understand if someone's being deceptive or not. So I forget off the top of my head, but it's around almost, uh, it's around 30%, 30 to 40% of all conversations um, involve some level of deception. And then depending oh, wow. upon... If it's a business context, resources are at stake. So therefore, deceptions going to go up. But there are some things that um, people can actually uh, put the pieces of the puzzle together of deception and be more accurate. So, for example, if someone looks uh, to the left, activates uh, the right side of the brain. And uh, that often is an indicator of truth. Whereas if someone's uh, looking to the right, um, then that often indicates uh, that they're trying to be deceptive. So I always uh, tell my students that if someone's looking to the left, that's usually a bit more literal um, to that uh, particular person, and it's a bit more factual. And if they're looking to the right, um, it's more often with deception. Another indicator is uh, what we already talked about, uh, baseline. So how do they normally communicate and are they communicating differently from it? Uh, What they found is when someone's trying to be deceptive is that they often use more repetitive and simpler behaviors. So they do the same uh, few behaviors over and over because it's so daunting trying to uh, deceive. It takes that much mental effort that they can't do a variety of different nonverbal behaviors. So they do the same ones over and over. The extremities are often a good indicator of what someone has attention to and also deception. So look at their feet. Are their feet uh, pointing towards you or is it pointing or do they have one foot pointing towards the door indicating that they want to get out of that situation and they're not that comfortable at it? Uh, they did a study and they found out that um, what would you think you look at in deception in a poker in a poker game? 
People mm. usually look at the face or the eyes, but that's not what they found. They found that the best, more reliable indicator is the extremities, the hands. How do they place their bets when they're confident? And how did they place their bets when they're trying to bluff? And when they're trying to bluff, uh, they're not as confident when they move their chips towards the minor to the towards the middle of the table. So again, people uh, usually rely upon look at the facial expressions, but the extremities that people forget about, and they don't control those nearly as well or nearly as much. And um, their behaviors are less spontaneous when someone's trying to be deceptive. And females are much better at uh, detecting deception from others than what males are. So take it before 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 we go into females. Hey, guys, before we continue, two things. You can get Dr. Froelich's book, Nonverbal Epiphany, on Amazon. Order it today. And the second thing is. Please rate the show, whichever platform you're listening, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you're listening, please rate the show. Leave a wonderful comment for me. Thank you. Now back to the interview. Let's talk a little bit about attraction. I mean, both how could you alter your body language? How could you alter your nonverbal behavior? to make yourself come off as more attractive, either to a partner, you've mentioned earlier that you can come across as more powerful, you know, you shift your body language, widen your stance if you go into an interview, but how could you make yourself more attractive to the opposite person? You mentioned mimicking in your book, you've mentioned several things. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. People wanna know, people are single, uh, Stephen. people wanna know, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> if I meet somebody at Starbucks or coffee shop, how do I come across as more attractive? One of the universal signs of friendliness to someone else who you just come into eye contact with and haven't verbalized anything with is the eyebrow flash. So you quickly uh, raise your eyebrows and then you quickly lower them. And that's an indication of a friendly type of universal gesture to everyone. So that's a good way to start out a conversation with someone is that quick eyebrow flash. Oh, That's interesting. I I just did it. I'm looking at myself on the screen. I'm doing it. And I'm like, Uh oh, it's almost like it's like a perk open. It's like it like it it sparks an openness. Right. Yes. So one of the things is uh, maybe it does show that you're excited to see the person. Maybe it does show that you're open your eyes to get a more visual field of the other person. Mm. Um, And likely the other person is going to return that back to you. If it's a friendly gesture on your part, they're going to uh, take on that emotion of friendliness towards you as well. So, but like uh, 70% of what we do is imitation of other people. Uh, another, another one is, uh, doing the genuine smile and the genuine smile. It takes longer to create. It's more symmetry on both sides of your mouth and the cheeks are raised much higher. And then again, you have that crow's feet. Mm, Hmm. Okay. Something that is of uh, interest as well when you're in the um, conversation is to have a slight head tilt uh, when you're talking to the other person. And from a evolutionary biological uh, point of view, what's that do? That's a more friendly gesture because you're coming across as less threatening because what's that do? That exposes your neck and that exposes that mm. uh, vein on your neck that's very difficult to shut off if you were to get uh, slashed. 
So uh, tilting your head has been found as coming across as much more positive and much more friendly to the other person. So one of the things that you want to do is you want to empathize with the other person. You want to uh, build some sort of rapport with them. And how do you do that? You do that through eye contact. But what happens if you maintain eye contact for too long, it comes across as aggressive. If you do it for not long enough, then you come across as aloof or you don't really care. So you want to uh, make uh, you want to maintain uh, looking at the other person's face, but you break eye contact. So you do a triangle method. You look at the left eye and then you go to the right eye and then you go to the mouth. And then you can maybe go to the right eye and then maybe the mouth and then maybe to the left eye. So you're always uh, maintaining eye contact with their face. And you're always breaking it down and uh, depending upon how intimate you want to be. If you want to be more intimate, then you don't stop at the mouth. You go to maybe the chest or uh, lower on the torso or whatever else when you break eye contact. If you want to come across as more romantic, uh, depending upon, I guess, um, how uh, adventurous you are with the other person. (laughs) (laughs) I see. Um, I see. This is really good. You have another one? Oh, yeah, sure. So one of the things that um, uh, is interesting and uh, jewelry traders have known about for uh, centuries and uh, especially like in the Far East, it started and then everyone knows about or a lot of people know about now and uh, romantic relationships or whatever is uh, pupil dilation. So what you like, uh, so you see a stimuli. When you see a stimuli, your pupils automatically dilate. Um, in less than a second. If it's something that you like, then your pupils stay dilated. If it's something that you dislike, then your pupils uh, contract. So if you like someone um, or it's it's a romantic situation, you probably want to spend a few extra dollars, eat at a place that's uh, uh, more dimly lit and your pupils are going to be dilated much more so during the uh, dinner interaction. And that's going to lead the other person to dilate their pupils as well. And it's going to uh, create a liking between both people because, uh, one, people like uh, what they see, their pupils dilate, and then people uh, react and have their uh, pupils dilate as a reaction and both indicate that you like what you see and it feeds off of each other. So uh, salesmen and jewelry traders have known this for years, and that's why they often wear poker players. That's why they wear sunglasses, because if you have a good hand and your pupils dilate, that's going to tell the rest of the table. Same thing if you're looking at different pieces of jewelry and your pupils dilate, then all of a sudden your uh, price gets jacked up. This Um, is incredible. This is good stuff. Another thing is um, having more uh, open types of gestures. So uh, maybe not having the glass of uh, whatever you're drinking in front of you, have it to the side, maybe not holding up the menu in front of you, having it flat down, uh, not having your cell phone in front of you, having it out to the side, all those things that can block or get in the way between you and the other person. One of the things um that uh, I often suggest, and this is uh, more business related, um, if you're going into like a business interaction, everyone's going to have a cell phone in their hand and they're going to place it on the table. What if whatever that industry is, you carry a periodical with you? So if it's finance, you carry investors business daily, the Wall Street Journal, uh, actual paper in your hand and set that down. That's going to stay, uh, stand a part of what it communicates about you to the other person and that uh, you, you're serious about that particular industry or whatever else. 
Uh, the last thing that I want to uh, talk about uh, when you're talking about uh, uh, dating or relationships um, that uh, um, uh, priming, that you're trying to prime the other person. So with priming behaviors is what comes uh, prior to what you're about to say often uh, um, leads, uh, often uh, sets the stage for what you're about to say. So shaking your head up and down prior to asking a date, asking a request, or shaking your head up and down in agreement um, leads to uh, more likely that the other person is going to accept what you have to say uh, that follows that uh, priming of shaking your head up and down and builds more rapport and more trust. So you go out to eat and sometimes um, the waiter or waitress, they'll shake their head up and down before asking you, do you want alcohol beverage or at the end, do you want dessert or something like that? Trying to prime you to agree with uh, the response that they want prior to asking what that response is. So uh, setting you up for it. Yeah. So if you're in a board meeting, Stephen, you're saying that, you know, if you're trying to ask somebody, trying to ask the team for the deal or trying to get them to join the movement or whatever you're trying to accomplish, if you start moving your head forward and suggesting yes, right before you ask, that could get people to buy in to comply. Yes, that will, that will increase the likelihood that they would uh, comply with you. And um, uh, on that note, what would be better would be having an eyebrow flash first and then do your head nod and then maybe ask your request and then uh, maybe do a few while you're asking your, your request, a few mimicry behaviors. So what are they doing? Are they grabbing a pen? You grab a pen. Um, are they... Uh, moving their hand to move papers to the side, you move your uh, papers to the side, several types of behaviors that mimic what the other person's doing, then that's going to uh, build that rapport because it activates similar areas of the brain for uh, both of you, and you're going to empathize with each other much better. One last link, thing with the uh, what you're talking about in terms of asking someone for something. So yes. you need to understand what their uh, uh, state of mind is at that moment. Is it something that they agree with or something that they're a bit hesitant with? So if it's something that they already agree with, then you use the eager uh, nonverbal display. So the eager is with the palms up and you're showing that uh, the top of your hands and you're leaning forward. So that shows that you're eager as you ask the request and that just motivates them further. But if it's something that, so if it's something that's rewarding to them, then you use the eager and something that they agree with. If it's something that they're hesitant about or not sure about, then you use the vigilant. So the vigilant is having their palms, having your palms down in a little bit of uh, bigger space between you and the other person when you make the request. Wow. Incredible. You know, I want everybody listening to know that a lot of these things you may be doing instinctively already. I think some of this is genetically wired in us to kind of connect with other people. There are parts of our face that becomes aroused and you're not telling yourself. So you are mimicking people, you're doing these things already. What this book teaches you to be intentional, if you're dealing with a difficult situation in a boardroom, if you're dealing with a complex person who may have a bias against you, this is how you can hack and overcome potential biases. I want to talk a little bit about cheating and your deception. You mentioned deception earlier. 
But if you're in a relationship where you think someone could be cheating on you or somebody in the office could be stealing, what are some nonverbal cues that you can look to? So one of the things that um, I think is a, uh, something that you want to uh, have a good understanding is how do they normally communicate? And are they communicating anything differently from it in terms of nonverbal behaviors? And one of the things that, uh, so maybe have a short conversation of basic types of things at first, the weather, sports, or whatever, and then go into that serious type of thing and see what their nonverbal behaviors are. One thing that we're, that's really difficult to do and deceive at the same time is to recall a story out of order. So let's say that, um, you're dating someone and they said that they met with friends, went out to eat and then saw a movie. So then uh, you ask them, uh, where'd you go eat? How many people were there and what everybody had to eat? So they're recalling the uh, lie in the order of you meet people first, then you go out to eat, then you uh, see a movie. So you're starting in the middle and then you back up. Oh, and then you say, I see. Who met first? How many people were you meet at <laughs> what time and trying to recall deception, a lie that didn't happen out of order when you're rehearsing it in order over and over is very difficult. Then the second thing is they often leave out sensory information because it didn't happen. So they're not going to talk about what uh, what the atmosphere was like, uh, what they saw in terms of colors, smells, taste. Uh, touch, all those types of things are going to be left out because they didn't experience it. And again, they're going to use the same repetitive types of uh, nonverbal gestures, simpler ones that they probably normally don't use over and over because it's a daunting task and it's exhaustive. And then again, we're going back to, are they looking up to the left and it's probably more truthful or are they looking up to the right and it's probably more deceptive um, with their uh, eye behaviors? Mm, so we can crack and hack this, whether or not somebody is fraudulent or they're cheating with these insights. I love it. You know, there are times, Stephen, when the stakes are higher and the power dynamics are real and you have worked your whole life and this moment matters. And if you don't get this deal, you may end up, you may end up closing your business. Let's talk a little bit more about power. You know, you mentioned uh, and her story. Uh, Amy, Amy Cuddy. Cuddy, yes. You mentioned her research. Amy's research is you know, well-known. She has a powerful TED Talk and so uh -huh. forth. But have you discovered any other dynamics around power? So power is often indicated by uh, taking up more space. So if you want to be okay. more powerful, then if you have uh, papers or documents, spread them all over the desk. Um, uh, have uh, your arms uh, spread out uh, much more so, maybe rested on the um, uh, arms of the chair or even much more so leaning back. If you're trying to look more powerful, you have your chin up when you lean back. And if you're really going out there, then having um, uh, a steeple type of position where your fingers are pointed underneath your chin. And that's showing that you're trying to be uh, powerful. If you're trying to be relaxed and powerful, your hands behind your head, leaning back in your chair, that's an indicator that I'm in control uh, of the situation. Um, wow, I love it. Looking down at other people, 
It's another uh, indicator of it. And then one of the things that I really like, one of my favorite parts of the book is the handshake itself. And it cracks me up uh, looking at different uh, politicians and how they're both aware of the power <laughs> of handshake and each one's trying to be more powerful to the other one. <laughs> So when uh, Mitt Romney and uh, President Obama uh, met on stage for one of their debates, pulled that up on YouTube and it cracks me up how neither one wants to let go of the other one's arm. So um, with the handshake itself, how it came about thousands of years ago is you're wearing the cloak and uh, you shake the other person. It used to be their forearm to see if they have a dagger that's hidden inside uh, their cloak itself. And that's why you're shaking it to rattle out any types of weapons that they may have. And then it went down to more of the hand itself. Uh, it all depends upon what your palm is doing. So if your palm is up, what's that do? That exposes that very vulnerable vein that's very difficult to stop bleeding. So that's more of a submissive and get, uh, uh, type of handshake and it gives power to the other person. If your palm is down, that, that's more of a power type of pose or a handshake uh, because the other person's uh, palm is up. So if someone gives you a power handshake and automatically your palm is up, then you can uh, counteract that by touching them on the arm or grabbing uh, their upper shoulder and patting them in a friendly manner. And then now you have more power, even though your hand is up. And then the more uh, vulnerable uh, areas that you touch, the more power you're given. So let's say that they uh, have their palm down, which is a power handshake on their part. Your palm is up and uh, you touch their arm. They touch your arm. Then you just keep moving up move up to the upper shoulder and then maybe uh the back of the uh their back and maybe a pat on the head if it goes to that extent <laughs> who knows um one of the things that you want to uh keep in mind and there is a, a pretty uh funny youtube video of this is hillary clinton when she was secretary of state she met with some foreign uh government official i forget and that foreign official was on uh her right side and then they take a few steps and then she dances around him to move to the other side of him so that uh, she, so that he's on her left side. So what's that do? Wow. That automatically gives you the power handshake when the other person's on your left side because you automatically naturally reach across your body, which puts your hand down. The other person automatically has to reach to the right. Hand. Yes. And their hand automatically turns up. So it gives you uh, one uh, level of power. Um, there's a picture out there. In my, there. I think it's in my, yeah, it's in my book, a picture of it. Um, uh, JFK is shaking hands to the left of him is with uh, Nixon. And Nixon does not have a, uh, a positive look on his face. He's pissed that uh, he's on the right side, that uh, JFK is on his right side and that JFK is doing a power handshake to him. And then uh, there's numerous unlimited just about uh, videos on YouTube of uh, President Trump giving handshakes and always doing the power handshake, shaking it hard, uh, having his uh, palm down, uh, touching the other person on the arm. Him with uh, Kim Jong-un uh, is pretty funny to watch that interaction and the handshakes that took place as well. We'll go We'll go check those out. I, I want to close this episode. We'll talk okay. a little bit about, I want to talk a little bit about inclusion. It's one of the most important subjects, you know, I don't care where you are in the world, you're likely to have to engage someone from a different culture, 
If you're young, you have to gauge people who are older. If you're a woman, you may be on a board with all men. If you are an older man, you may be on a team of just a bunch of young people right out of college. So let's talk about navigating in-group, out-group dynamics. You're the only one of your kind. Uh, what are some nonverbal cues that you can use as tools to be able to hack engagement? So I think what you want to do is to understand what the norms are for that culture. So okay. what is it normal to them? So in my book, basically, everyone does similar types of nonverbal behaviors. A lot of them are universal, but it's culture, the culture that changes what is appropriate and uh, changes the alteration of the specifics of it. So for example, uh, what is the eye contact normal length for that culture? Different cultures maintain eye contact for longer and shorter periods of time um normally and then also based upon who the relationship is between the people and then uh personal space that's a big one so everyone has different personal space needs and comforts but it's going very based upon culture how close and how how far away it is um how do you greet each other do you greet through touch or is it uh through a handshake or through uh some sort of hug or something else um uh, smiling. So uh, a genuine smile versus a fake smile, having a genuine smile, that's rather universal. And we touched on some of the specifics on that and then the use of touch. So there are, uh, everyone has um, a schemata and you want to understand what that schemata is for each person. So each situation, everyone has a framework from which, from which they work within with their normal nonverbal behaviors. And you want to understand what it is for that culture and what that schemata is in business versus casual versus romantic or whatever else. So you need to get understanding of everyone's going to do these nonverbal behaviors, but the culture is going to dictate how you display it for how long and in what way. Uh, a wow. few other things to keep mind to keep in mind is um, this is something that I came across when I uh, wrote my book, and I think it's a big hole out there in terms of learning a new language. When you learn a new language, you should also learn the nonverbal behaviors of that language as well, because the majority of our communication is nonverbal. So I think too often when you learn a new language in academia, you just focus too much on the verbal and the written and the nonverbals are left out. So that's uh, something that needs to be considered. Um, what's the context is uh, of, of the uh, culture is a high context or is a low context culture. And then if it's high context, much more is going to be placed on the nonverbal um, versus a low context culture where they're going to place more on what is uh, verbally being communicated. There no. is a uh, software out there that's, um, I don't know that much about it, but it kind of cracks me up that you can have software when you're doing something like we're doing right now through Zoom and um, it translates the nonverbal behaviors of the other person. So um, you can have their nonverbal behaviors translated into whatever uh, type of understanding that you have based upon whatever their culture is. Do you know which one those sites or software? Do you have any idea? 
Uh, hopefully, uh, off the top of my head, I know I mentioned in my book, so hopefully I have a citation in there as well, what that sure. is. Yeah, so, I'm sure uh, we can just, we can also search it, we can also search it on Google, okay. Which cracks me up, you know, after a <laughs> corona pandemic, everyone's doing these uh, virtual types of things, Skype and Zoom, so hmm. why not have something that translates the nonverbals as well? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love the fact that a lot of what you share, you can apply on a Zoom meeting, you know, the eyes, uh, the smile and all of this stuff can translate really well. And I found it really interesting, you know, over the last, you know, several months that people becoming more and more confident with putting their cameras off in, um, in big group meetings. And it's become really interesting to access people. But one thing I know for sure that people are always going to meet up and I'm seeing more conferences, more meeting in person. And this book is very, very timely. Thank you so much for writing nonverbal epiphany book, Dr. Stephen Furlitt. Thank you for joining us on the Brain and Brand Show. Thanks, Timothy.